When it comes to weight management, we tend to focus on what we eat, but Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat. That's a game changer. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up today. Hello and welcome to On the Farm Pitcher List podcast about all things prospect, dynasty, and minor league related. I am your host, Lamar Gibson. And I am your host, Jake Mesh. And today we are talking about process and specifically we're going to look into our individual process. So Jake and I, um, our process is for identifying prospects to add, drop, um, even trade, just kind of digging in a little bit deeper and how to um, how we both go about trying to find um, the non uh, immediate top 50, top 100 guys, those um, sort of hidden gems that we like to bring to you. Uh, but before we get into that subject, as we always do, I want to run down this week in baseball. Um, another exciting week of prospect promotions. Uh, literally after we were f- uh, finished recording last week's episode, my phone started blowing up as I was getting messages and, and seeing alerts about uh, Zach Neto's promotion. So Neto was uh, 2022 draft pick. So the first uh, first member, first player from his draft class to be promoted to the major leagues. Um, he flew through the Angel system after being drafted last season, uh, finished up with a really rock-solid stint at AA Rocket City, um, helping them in the playoffs. That's really when I was paying attention to a lot of what he was doing uh, in the minor leagues is through their playoff run. And this year he picked up right where he left off. Um, seven games he played, uh, three home runs, three stolen bases, had eight strikeouts, uh, six walks. So just immediately – they were like, call him up. Obviously, the Angels have nothing going on at shortstop. So it was kind of, you know, we, we knew it was going to be sooner than later. But uh, obviously, I don't think a lot of people anticipated it was going to be this soon. Uh, and then, of course, the other prospect that got a ton of messages about a ton of messages, because if you know me, I was riding for this guy. Uh, and that was going to be uh, for one Mason Miller. Uh, of the soon to be uh, the Las Vegas card sharks, maybe the Las Vegas gamblers. I don't know what we're going to what we're going to dub the the Oakland A's as they leave Oakland uh, we'll talk about that later um so Miller's debut was against the Cubs four and a third gave up four hits two earned runs a walk five strikeouts um so before we even talk about uh Miller let's jump back to Neto what what were you liking uh Jake about Neto getting the call and then what we've seen from him uh, at the major league level thus far yeah um really happy with the Angels for you know, doing that, making that move and, and calling up Neto because he was likely their best option. And they like, why keep him there if you really don't have anything blocking? I'm like, David Fletcher was performing horribly and hasn't really been very good for the last like two seasons, probably. So um, I, I think it was a fantastic move by them to bring him up and, and see what he could do there. And I think so far we've been seeing a lot of what we expected from Neto. Um, really horrible batting average so far, but he also has a 167 Babbitt. So I expect that to definitely come up as just like he gets more reps. He's only had 27 or 28 plate appearances so far, but um, he's not chasing really at all. I think it's like a sub 20% chase rate. Um, yeah, it's 16.9 so far. Um, 
good zone contact rates, really low swinging strike. So like his, you know, uh, coverage of the zone is really good, good contact hitter. And he also hit uh, a ball 109.9 miles an hour, which um, is pretty quick um, to hit the ball that hard, you know, so um, only 18 batted ball events. And um, I assume that's not his like absolute max, you know, so as he kind of continues developing, I think we could see a little bit more power there. Uh, so yeah, I like what I'm seeing from him so far. Uh, and he should like have the job to, to run with and, and, uh, keep performing. Yeah. What do you, what do you think the fab run on him? Uh, so we're recording as usual on, on a Saturday. So tomorrow, what do you think the fab run and like NFBC is going to be like, what's the crazy, what's the crazy amount that we're going to see somebody post on, on <laughs> well, last week it was, uh, it was Julian mm-hmm. and, who is the other middle infielder? Not Sosa. No, there, there was like the two guys. Was it? Uh, it was no somebody. Oh. Was it Neto? No. Was he called up on Saturday? Oh, yeah. I guess. Oh, yeah. Duh. I just so like, we already did Saturday. that, right? Yeah, duh. <laughs> Jesus, I'm not even keeping up with, with what's going on. So, yeah, it already happened. It was already happening. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Goodness, I'm, I'm behind. I'm behind the times. Um, yeah, but, but yeah, I did see I, there were some huge bids for him. Yeah. There were some huge bids for him. There was uh, in uh, my Wharf League, I think it was like uh, almost two hundred. Um, it was like out of seven years, so out of a thousand, out of a thousand. So yeah, twenty yeah. percent right there. I can do that yeah. easy. Man. I think it probably averaged about like thirteen to fourteen percent. That would yeah. be my my guess. Um, so my thing with Neto is, I was a big fan. I I looked back over my FYPD and my home dynasty league and was just looking at some, some previous trades and um, just kind of, you know, for the heck of it and just being like, Oh man, I really wanted Neto. Why didn't I, why wasn't I able to, to get him? And then I looked and it was just one of those, like you kick yourself now because I literally traded, uh, I forget the exact breakdown, but it, the way it worked out was the guys I traded for or the guys that I traded, I'm sorry. Um, it may have been, it may have been um, like a Harry Ford and Gabriel Gonzalez, something like that. But the way it broke down was I got the 11th pick of our FYPD. And then I traded that pick and I traded down. So I ended up, if you guys remember from previous episodes, like I had like a really high, I had like number five and then I had like number um, like 16 or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Guess where another went? He went like number 10, like number 11. I was right there in the mix. And like, I traded that. And I was just like, oh, you idiot. You could have just, you should have just kept that pick, especially for who you traded for. Like you knew what you were doing. And then why did you, anyways, he's obviously gone. Um, yeah. You but, got Brooks Lee though, didn't you? No, I didn't. I got, I got uh, sniped on him because somebody oh, yeah. traded way up yeah. to yeah. like the number three pick and got yeah, Lee. And those were the two guys. And yeah. and really just to get back, like kind of uh, bring the conversation back on track. Neto and Lee were the two guys that I could really foresee coming out of that draft class that I was like, these guys are not going to be in the minors very long. Right. Um, just from their production and their skill set, what they're showing already, along with, especially for the Angels, as you were saying, having the team contacts, having the job opportunity of knowing like they were running out Andrew Velasquez as their everyday shortstop last year. Um, like you said, Fletcher has, has really been a net neutral at best, negative at worst over the past probably three seasons, if you skip um, the 2020 and even going into 2019. So, yeah, I think that was the surprising piece, though, was, like, them, like, designating Fletcher. I think that was the piece that nobody really saw coming. It was like, okay, they called him Neto, 
but you kind of thought that they were kind of sort of kind of mix him into the bunch and they were just pretty much like nope it's your job now like this guy's gone it's all on you go ahead and do it um so exciting uh if not surprising to see that and then we shift to uh mason miller and you know i was in conversation and in multiple different servers obviously in the um picture list server talking about mason miller i was a fan looking at what he did um in the fall league specifically and then even in the short amount of time in the minors this season uh just you know blowing guys away and my thing you know as i was as i was trying to recalibrate like you know one of the big conversations like who's the next Spencer strider this guy's the next Spencer strider that's the guy that's the next Spencer strider um somebody in one of the other servers i think early in the all season somebody had talked about bryce miller from seattle and i was like actually that that i could see that happening um and turn around now we have mason miller and my thing about mason miller is if you look at um the arc of their career that's where i see a lot of similarities right like the injury injury leads to being like kind of under evaluated under um analyzed they obviously have big fastballs both of them um the the rest of the secondaries the slider change etc with um miller it would be interesting to see how that works out i know that with the braves they really essentially pared down what strider had and they pretty much showed him like we want you and that's that's been their go-to if you look at their pitching um prospects over the last couple of seasons uh and, and if you read up on kind of their pitching development specifically that's kind of been where they've turned is just saying like we just want you to throw your best pitches. Like we don't care about how many you have. What are the best ones? Those are the ones that we want you to focus on, which it sounds very elementary, but you'd be surprised, obviously, like how often that's not the development for a lot of guys at a lot of uh, major league teams. So for Strider, it was like, Hey, obviously you got the big fastball. This slider is uh, incredible as well. Really don't care about how often you throw a changeup or like how good that is. You can throw it in there, you know, every now and then. And he does it now at the major league level. I, I want to say it's around five, maybe 6% usage if that. Um, but yeah, it's just like, these are your two and it's really hard for guys to make good contact with it. So why not? Um, so it would be interesting if, if Miller kind of takes a similar uh, tack, but like I said, just from injury, uh, under evaluation, um, super big uh stuff and the production being there as well even if it's in a small sample size um that's where i saw the similarities as well that's where it's you know this guy's probably going to be the closest obviously strider is, is still one of one especially what he did as a rookie last year but um it was great in, in my opinion it was just great to see like it happening like he's on the mound and we're, we're past the hype and now it's just like okay now he's a major league pitcher uh and i mean he looked good it, it wasn't anything phenomenal but it also wasn't like oh this guy doesn't have it he looked like a young pitcher there was a little bit of um nerves in the first couple batters but then he he broke in some really good uh sliders as well some really good breaking balls hit 101 102 we saw a couple of times like uh yeah i was i was happy jake what you know what were you seeing 
Yeah, I'll say that the first time I heard about Mason Miller was from you in that in the Pitcher List Prospects and Dynasty uh, Discord channel. So props to you there. I think you were definitely one of the earlier ones on him. Um, and so hey, even the blind squirrel, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, I mean, hey, take you know, take advantage of that while you can. Definitely soak in that uh, in that success there. But um, so yeah, I, I liked what I saw from Mason Miller um, with the velocity. And I wasn't I was really interested to see how his like command was going to play out, um, you know, how often if he was going to be around the strike zone, if he mm-hmm. was, you know, because like you have that fastball, if you just like major league hitters will hit it if you don't put it in a good location, you know, yeah. so. Yeah. Um, and I think he did he did better than I expected, I think there uh, overall his zone rate was 52 percent, which is probably like the top third of, of baseball, if you extrapolated that. Um, so that was solid. Um, I don't think he had a walk issue i think he might have walked one or two yeah uh, one walk uh one walk. on his line four hits right so so that was good the to see the command um would look like to be there from the beginning um where he like surprisingly did like average to below average in chase rate and csw and swinging strike um those were all like solid but also it's one start i think with um you know you don't know what you're gonna get there i think it's yeah. um you know, so I, I like, but like, yeah, the velocity, the command looked good. Uh, pitch mix looks good. The fact that he added that cutter pretty recently, yeah. huge difference maker. You yeah. needed that third pitch because it looked like the changeup was like, yeah, you know. Yeah. So and so now, cutter, now huge. it's like fastball, cutter, slider. Right. And I think that's going to be pretty dynamic to to have, especially him throwing the cutter at the at the speed that he's able to throw it, 95, right. you know, 94, 95 miles per hour cutter. Yeah. Um, yeah. It'll be interesting to see how he does what he does against lefties. Uh, yeah. 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 We all saw the same Haggerty clip was making his rounds of of uh him making Haggerty look really bad. Um <laughs> in spring training. Um yeah. obviously Haggerty, you know, uh major league hitter. I can't take that away from him, but not necessarily the upper echelon of left handed hitters that, that Miller might face. So we have to see, you know, him against uh some some uh even more talented guys. But yeah, I think for me the other thing to keep in mind, and I've seen this in some of the questions, is we know that he he's he hasn't even tapped into fifty innings pitched at the professional level. So right. we know he's going to be cat, even though the, the their GM said you know he's up for good, he's not spot starting, like he's in the rotation. They're going to cap him at pitches. They're going to have to cap him at innings. This was his career high in pitches, right? In right. Um. And pretty close, I think, to career high in innings pitch as well. Like yeah. I don't, I don't know if he's ever gotten to five innings. I so, so I mean, you got to take that with, you know, the the grain of salt that it is. Uh, everybody, you know, running out to add him in redraft leagues. Yeah, you know that I, I can see why. Um, but you just got to keep in mind, like he's not going to be with you in a full season capacity. They're going to shut him down at some point in time. He's going to have. Uh, he's going to have a start. I can almost guarantee he's going to have a start where he's looking tremendous through, you know, three or four innings. He's just, he's just dominating. And then he's going to hit 70 pitches and they're going to say, don't care. That's it. You're done. Like that's going to happen. Something of that nature is going to happen. And so you had, you just have to be prepared to know I was joking and I forget where I was online, but I was joking online that, um, you know, what if they had, uh, Fujinama, uh, Fujinami, excuse me, as the opener, and then Miller, and it's like if you put them together, you will have like a full like think about how nasty that pitcher is as a whole. But you have two guys that like 
again, I still don't know. I, I mean, I do, but I don't. Uh, why they're not putting uh, Fujinami in the pit bullpen because he's clearly much better suited to come out for two, three innings max and throw that nasty splitter and like all that sort of stuff and not have to get through the lineup two and three times. And then with Miller, you already have the nature of he's not, he hasn't been stretched out that far. And so it, again, interesting to see. Um, but yeah, I, I was happy to see both of them. Just, we continue to be ecstatic uh, here on the podcast about seeing all the promotions that we're seeing um, all over the place, right? High draft picks, um, guys that are, were on the lower end and have worked their way up through um, just the whole gamut and everybody's kind of contributing and, and making a splash both for dynasty purposes as well as redraft. I think it's just, it's tremendous. Uh, gives us a lot to talk about, which is always uh, fun. Um, before we get into the break and, and then after the break, get into our subject, any thoughts on the Oakland A situation? It, it's pretty much, uh, you know, fait accompli. It, they're, they're buying land. Uh, in Las Vegas with the intent of, of building a ballpark is pretty much a wrap as far as Oakland A's baseball is concerned. They, they're they leaving. And um, a lot of people had a lot of thoughts. Jake, I want to kind of let you go first before I, I stepped on my soapbox and, and you know, talked my stuff. But, you know, the A's leaving for Vegas. Ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. Ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know enough about the economics of it, um, but – I don't trust anything that John Fisher does. And like, I mean, it was just, I don't know. You, you're on Twitter. I'm sure everyone's seen, like, I don't know how much I could really add as someone who is not from the area. Um, but I mean, it's just, it's so gut wrenching to see the reactions from Oakland A's fans on, you know, on Twitter. And um, they three didn't teams, try, man. They didn't. They, and yeah. Three professional teams in five years time. Yeah. All three gone. It's brutal. It's brutal. And and like at no point have the have the A's really tried to be like competitive since they tore everything down. Like it was like they're like, oh, we have these couple of years, like they had all those good players, and then they're like, Oh, we're just it, it it's like they took the opportunity to just tear everything up and then go and you know, I don't know. There's a lot about like who you know, who's paying for the stadium, like mm-hmm. they can't get a stadium paid for by, you know, taxpayers as easily in California. They did well they told the the city of oakland to raise like a certain amount of money and then they did that and it still didn't help or anything right and it's just like it seems like from the beginning they have had no intent to yeah. actually do do everything they can there so i don't it's just it's it's horrible i feel yeah. so bad for yeah i mean i i uh i don't the only thing that i have to add are i guess these these two immediate thoughts which is um at some point in time in professional sports as a whole some city some city without a team like i guess what i'm getting to is like somebody's on the other end is going to have to take a stand to say like no we're not we're not doing we're not going to attract you away from this other city so you can come here and in 20 times we're going to in 20 years time we're going to just repeat the same cycle of getting taxpayers to pay for the bill like somebody's going to have to say cool you want to leave x place and come here and we would love to have a professional sports team for the first time or for you know first time in a while or whatever the case may be cool you're footing the entire bill right you know what doesn't make sense to me at all is why there is even the, the concept of taxpayers paying for a stadium yeah, because like I it's mean, it's a private business like we've got, we've learned that that like owners are just there to make money well, it is well, a like what do they actually contribute to the community it, yeah. I, I think it all i think it's a wash 
I don't yeah. know why. I mean, it, the, that's the, we, we it's a different podcast, obviously, but like, yeah, the the economic studies have kind of shown the the idea of like job creation and that sort of stuff is like like you said, it's pretty much a wash at best. Um, right. You have to there has to be like considerable um, investment, which we tend not to see um cut mm-hmm. to, to really justify and i think to to answer your question of like why taxpayer money i think the obvious answer is like because they don't want to spend their own like that's how you stay rich you don't stay rich by spending your money you stay rich by spending other people's money um and so, there's I nothing mean, that they the, do to justify it yeah it, like in no way and, you know and they're I, not a public entity yeah. they're not a non-profit yeah yeah make I, sense. I think that's the other thing too to, to keep in mind is that um you know we've seen with with these teams leaving and that's what i was saying about like taking a stand is the want and this is a lot of times in in the past a lot of times this is how owners tend to get over when it came to getting the new stadiums built was no poli- no local politician wanted to be the person on the hook for letting x team leave right like oh they left because you wouldn't build them this stadium and now we don't have this sports team i think it seems like more and more there's some savvy from politicians just being like, I'd rather just call your bluff. And if you're going to leave, then just like, you're going to look bad, not me to an extent. And I'm not saying that mm-hmm. applies completely to Oakland. Cause I'm not from Oakland. I don't have ties. So I don't, I'm like you were saying, I'm not fully apprised of everything that was going on, but just at, from a national level, it seems like you were seeing more of that pushback of like, no, we're not just going to bend over backwards. Um, and let you run roughshod over us and, and the taxpayers to get stuff, you know, built left and right. But again, it doesn't really matter. Like that leverage gets lost if there's always going to be, and I'm speaking generally. So P, you know, people from these areas don't think this personally, but like if there's always going to be a Vegas or a Nashville or whomever saying like, Oh yeah, we'll take you. We'll take you in. If that's going to happen, then you're always going to have, you know, it, it has to be like, again, nobody from here you know don't mean to offend you but like it would have to be like a des moines to say like we'll take you in before owners are like ah maybe i'll pass on like relocate my team to des moines but if there's always going to be this that that um other city that's always willing to you know adopt the franchise with little questions asked that's where the owners are going to go um or they're going you know the other piece obviously is the valuation of teams and how they can flip these teams for way more than what they purchased them for. But again, that's a whole nother conversation. But anyways, I agree that at the end of the day, it's, it's incredibly sad. I think there's a conversation to be had about what happens with, um, you know, the A's legacy. Are, are they going to, you know, allow Oakland to, to maintain the athletics name? I've seen arguments on both sides, right? The athletics, obviously, is not the first time or the second time that the athletics franchise has moved in the history of baseball. We know that. So there's a precedent for that name and and um, really the logo. If you think about the elephant logo, like that moving on into Vegas, and that could be a thing. Um, I was kind of I was half joking around, but I, the more I think about it, the more I actually kind of like it. I don't think it's going to happen, but I was trying to look at Las Vegas, see like okay, what are they kind of known for? You know, state flower, state bird. You know that these are things that we've seen teams kind of look at in the past as far as you know franchise names and i saw that their state fish in nevada is uh the cutthroat trout and so i was like oh the las vegas cutthroats 
and it works in multiple ways. <laughs> you know, you got yeah. you got kind of synergy with the Raiders, right? Raiders and cutthroats and kind of that, you know, sort of thing. And then you got what they did to Oakland. So they're cutthroat <laughs> there. And then you have the cutthroat. I thought, you know, it kind of works. And then also I, I made a semi joke that um you leave the athletics name for the Mexico City team so they can be the Athleticos. Uh, yeah, because we know that baseball is going to come to Mexico City. It's just a matter of when, not if. And so I hope, man. I want I want to justify going to Mexico City by I mean, completing my ballpark tour. <laughs> l- listen, man, you want you think Coors is something? Yeah, right. <laughs> you my think goodness. Coors is something? You think you think the 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 Great American Ballpark is something? Think about baseball getting played at the altitude in Mexico uh, in Mexico City. Excuse me. Um, but it'll be interesting. But yeah, you can have Mexico City Atleticos. And then that's like a and it's closer to California. You know, I don't I don't know. Is it? What do I know? Oh, I guess yeah. Look, that I'm I'm well I'm saying it's closer to California, it's not closer to Oakland. <laughs> it's closer to the state of California, not necessarily closer to the the city of, of Oakland. Um All right, I need a globe. Right. Uh, I need a map. <laughs> I should have one in my office here. Anyway. Um, but yeah, I I it, it 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 is bad because ultimately, like now, what do you do as a as a baseball player, right? Like, if you're on that team, we just talked about Mason Miller, right? Like, you're getting yeah. all up this awesome, and then this news comes, and it's like, yeah, I'm sure that's not in his day to day as he's thinking about like being a professional baseball player and like getting mm-hmm. better. And but it just kind of it has to kind of float in the back of your mind, like yeah, or the the front office workers, all oh, of the people that work for the team, man, man. they. If they they're either losing a job or moving to Vegas, right. if they even could keep the job, if right. I don't know, I don't trust right. <laughs> that organization to to, right. to do the right thing there at all. So yeah, um, man, that's just like having to get that news had to have been a gut punch for just about everyone involved, you know, because it affects so many people's lives. It it's does. not just like oh, we're gonna play in in Vegas yeah. now, sweet, we're gonna have new colors and new yeah. New Jersey. It's like they're like they employ probably what like ten thousand people, you know. I think game day staff is usually like five thousand or something like that, like mm-hmm. crazy. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It's horrible. It is. It is. Um, with that being said, on that note, <laughs> we're going to take a break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk through our processes and, uh, talk about how we try to identify talent, um, at every level in the minor leagues when it comes to prospects right after this. Fads come and go and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss. That's why Noom has created weight management programs that are made to last. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. So stop chasing health trends and join the millions who have lost weight with Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. All right, and we are back. So the way that I wanted to have this broken down is, like I said, I want to do it by level. 
and talk through, um, you know, DSL. We, we combine some. So like DSL and Complex League, we combine kind of looking at that level because that's very similar. Uh, low A, high A, those are kind of two individual pieces. And then I kind of combine double A and triple A together because I think there's a lot of similarities, especially as we've seen the evolution of double A and triple A and what that means over the last, uh, you know, decade or so uh, time, especially the last five years, especially. So we're going to kind of go level by level, bit by bit and talk through um, how we're identifying talent. First thing um, we want to talk about is, oh, then one other thing to add to that is, you know, we can also mention how we make a decision to move off of prospects or maybe somebody that we're in on at a certain level. And then maybe if they move up or we start seeing certain data, certain information, we might say, ah, we're, we're not as interested as we were. Um, so we can talk through that as well. Uh, so first place we want to start is Dominican Summer League, as well as the um, Arizona and Florida Complex Leagues as well for rookie ball. Um, <laughs> the funniest thing about this outline is Jake, your first bullet point is you just say wait until they get promoted. <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna pass it to you first to like talk us through. <laughs> yeah, I was uh I was looking at the outline and like you wrote some really good stuff down for what to look for in the in the DSL and complex leads, which we'll get to in a second. But I read that and I was like, I don't know what like yeah, I guess I'm just gonna wait until they get promoted right. because like I don't I it's so hard to, you know, watch those games and those the stats like mm-hmm. really don't mean a lot at all. Um and for me it's like not in my wheelhouse, I think, to like, you know, get that deep into it and try to find grainy footage of these guys. And um I think it's like, you know, who uh which international prospects were like highly regarded they received Mm -hmm. higher signing bonuses you know like and i think at at this level i take more from how the teams handle it you know it's like once the teams think they're ready to go up i'm like okay like you know or like how long were they there was it a pretty quick trip and and rookie ball or whatever so for me i would rather spend the time doing something else and then be (laughs) potentially slow on a guy like but also like there's so much room for finding the diamonds in the rough at the higher levels that I don't think you'll, if you do that, I don't think you're going to miss a, a whole lot, but there is, I think you have a higher chance of finding like some really great guy that just explodes like that, you know, uh, like Carlos, Carlos Jorge, maybe. Mm. Um, so yeah, I think for me, it's like, ah, it's interesting, but I really start to pay attention after they get promoted. Like that's my, yeah, that's, I guess my, my uh, first bullet point, like you said, for, for these levels is wait until they get promoted and then start paying attention. Step one, dump the whole thing out. And then, step two. <laughs> um, no, I, 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 I think you, you make a really good point. All jokes to, uh, to the side is, um, you have to think about like, really time commitment right like what what is your investment and what's the yield on that investment of time really so yeah if you're playing like a money league like a money dynasty league for some reason like yeah you might have a little bit more incentive to like find every like cover every little bit and piece that you can um versus you know just playing kind of friendly you know 12 team dynasty with some buddies like okay but even outside of that i think um to your point jake just understanding like what history tells us about how difficult it is to to go from the to stick with uh the summer league like from dominican summer league all the way up to get to the major leagues like how how many 
graduates do we have, especially recently? Like, it, it, and I should have looked through, but I didn't. But it, you know, it's exceedingly small number. It's very difficult. And like you talked about, like the the conditions, the environment that they're playing in. You see the footage that you can. There's a lot of like guys on dirt fields, you know, backfields. It's it's not necessarily um, the best footage that you're seeing. It's not necessarily the best uh, infrastructure all the time. And even in places where they are playing like at a team's complex or something like that. Um, yeah, we know that the talent level that they're playing against is just not super up to par. So it, there's going to be, whether it be they jump from, you know, the summer league to uh, just the rookie league, or even if they get into low A, there's going to be a major adjustment period. And one of those two lower levels, especially um, that's going to wash a lot of guys out, quite honestly. And then that that says nothing about uh, if, if these are international signees, like you say, which they obviously tend to be in the DSO. Like there's a whole cultural shift that can that can happen, a cultural change, um, diet, all that sort of stuff. Like it's not just about what's going on between the lines, but there's a lot of other extra pieces that have to fall in place properly. That that you know it, it's hard to do with you know low and high A guys, let alone even younger, you know, 16, 17, 18 year old guys. I think that's even more reason why we see a, a guy like uh, Salas with um, the Padres and be like, this kid's 16 and like, he's doing what? And he looks like what? Um, but it's really, and that, that was one of the first things that I have in my piece is like, what's the reason for your interest in a player? And like, is this player a generational talent? And what do I mean by that? Well, you know, it's not like they come up with a sign that says I'm a generational talent. Everybody thinks they are, but there are certain guys that to your point, Jake, if a team is really hounding them, like they're getting a lot, you're, you're hearing about a lot of different offers or a team has been in on this guy since he could like walk essentially. <laughs> and they're committed to just throwing the bag at him and making sure that he's going to be, you know, signing with them. Um, that might be a good indicator of, okay, I at least need to pay attention. Doesn't mean I have to go and add him, but I need to put him on some sort of watch list. Some, you know, I need to, you know, have a little tab, have a little flag on him to make sure I'm paying attention to what's happening. And then outside of that, for me, it's just, and this kind of morphs from the DSL specifically into talking about the rookie leagues, um, the complex leagues, just keeping it simple, right? Uh, and, and one of the pieces, I, am not a uh there is no such thing as pitching prospect like i i i really don't like that thought process this is the one place where i will in, invest in that sort of philosophy of like if i'm looking at the guy at the complex leagues it's 99 percent time going to be a hitter like i'm not really interested at a at a like 17 18 year old pitcher at this level like most of the time yep. um so if i'm hitters over pitchers i want to keep it simple I'm looking at walk rate should be higher than the K rate. If, if you're striking out at, at 25, 30% already, again, we've talked more, you know, again and again, it'll come up in this conversation about margin for error. There's just, where do you go from there? Am I expected to believe that, okay, 18 years old, you're striking out 30% of the time. You only walk 5% of the time. And in two years, that's all going to like shift incredibly. Could it happen? Absolutely. Will it happen? I'm not banking on it. <laughs> like, yep. um, that's just you're not going to make that investment. 
knowing exactly. that you're going to wait and see exactly you know if later if it does happen okay cool then i can look at it seriously but like as we we're talking about a roster of a fantasy team exactly. you usually don't have that many spots to to add someone like that exactly um and then looking at things like uh evs and and contact rates and, and i know one of the questions that you had jake was like where do you find that information you can it, this is where you're going to have to do some sleuthing right you're going to have to be following the right people on twitter that have access to this info um that have access to some of these reports follow i would say you know a lot of beat writers for teams um and team and team related accounts that seem to be uh you know relatively credible obviously not just anybody that says they're you know cardinals or atlanta braves you know farm system but it's like you know they have some credibility to them um but that's really where i'm finding that information i'm sure you know there there might be another site that has you know you can pay to to have a little bit more access one site and i will call this site out even though it seems like they're defunct over the last couple of seasons um that was good for this was a site called minor league splits um and they were good for collecting this less so with the rookie um leagues but more so with the low a information that we know you can kind of suss out via savant but they were still really good about like having it in one single place for you to go and look at and i'll talk about that um when we get to low a but you know you just got to do some some digging uh and again this is why you probably don't want to cash your net that wide when it comes to uh rookie ball guys or, or dsl guys it's probably like hey here's maybe three or four guys that i'm really super interested in seeing how they do and i'm just going to kind of follow along um so yeah my example and and, and we want to kind of give examples at each level of, of the type of player we're talking about and, and how our process led us to these uh particular players um gabriel gonzalez of seattle mariners uh and and just kind of keeping an eye out is how i st- uh, stumbled upon gabriel gonzalez um who had really solid numbers uh at the dsl in 2021 um, played in rookie ball most of last year. Uh, I think he did end up finishing the season at low A, and that's where he is now to start 2023. Um, but yeah, it was a lot of just like, oh, here's a guy, um, seems you know pretty athletic, walk rate was high, uh, was higher than K rate, um, seemed to make pretty good contact, looked like he had pretty decent mechanics, et cetera. I just kind of kept up with him. And as you if you've kept up like you can look and see his prospect ranking is start to climb bit by bit he's still well outside of the top 100 but whereas he probably was to start with you know unranked to start you know the season in 2021 now he's probably depending on which list you're talking about somewhere in that 200 level tier maybe a little bit higher than that in the, in the back end of you know 180 or something like that um but you know it's just you, and you continue to watch just continue to see what happens uh also team context also helps here because if it's a guy that signs with a team that has um you know a good history of developing young guys from different areas uh or like we talked about in one of our episodes with uh talking about the white Sox, jake you know they have a direct sort of pipeline when it comes to cuban players and like so anytime they sign somebody from cuba it's kind of like oh okay well they clearly have like some sort of relationship they clearly there's something going on there so that's the the dsl complex leagues again just want to keep it simple keep it short um and and you know let guys kind of fall into your lap that way 
the low A level, um, this is when I'm looking at physical aspect. You know, can a, a player add muscle if they're really thin? You know, you see a lot of young guys really thin, but they're tall, lean, look like they can probably add some pounds without it taking away from uh, what they can do out in the field or what they can do as far as their swing. And then you see some guys where you're like, that looks like a grown man. Like, and you don't, there's really no, you know, they're 18, yes, but like they're already filled out to a point where we're, if they add on anything, then you start to worry about them becoming too cumbersome and, and their bat slowing down, them not necessarily being as, as athletic as you would want. Um, so, you know, that's something that just keep an eye on. I'm really big into mechanics. So for a hitter, how fluid does their swing look? Um, how does their plate coverage look? Barrel manipulation, right? Can they, can they, go down and get a pitch? Can they adjust their swing to, to high velocity? Like, can they really, and that kind of goes hand in hand with the plate coverage, right? Like, can they really move around and hit, get to just about everything? Or are there just some major holes that they have, right? They're always going to chase down and wave. They can never get to that pitch though, <laughs> right? They're always going to go after the high velocity, but they clearly aren't quick enough or have the, the swing to get to that. Um, and then pitchers, like, are they using their legs or are they using their arms? Right? Are they throwing or are they pitching? Uh, a lot of young guys can still be in that at the low A level. So you're talking about 19, maybe 20. They can still be in that throw mode and not necessarily using their legs. If they can get into their legs more, can they get downhill more? That's where you start to see stuff. Extension, um, release point, all those uh, uh, little data points start to become more apparent if they're able to do so early on. Uh, and then do they finish pitches, right? If they're if they're throwing, uh, especially when it comes to breaking balls, like if they're throwing a breaking ball, are they throwing it with that conviction, getting downhill and finishing off that pitch, or are they kind of just like, I get there, I kind of stop short, my release point is a little bit earlier than what you want, and then that's when you see a lot of command issues. Sometimes it breaks where you need it to be. Sometimes it doesn't. Um, this is also why strikeout rates at the low A level are always kind of, can be kind of wonky to look at because sometimes they don't have good command, but the stuff is so good that guys are swinging at it anyway. Right. It's like, ah, that's not really where you wanted that pitch to go. Mm-hmm. And at a higher level, that's going to become an issue. Um, And then to, to finish up on my end, uh, there's things like, you know, I always think about tools to skill for, for hitters. So tools are, you know, the, the raw material, having a quick bat, raw power, um, ability to make contact, speed right just guys that are really fast on the base paths can they turn into skills right does that turn into back to ball skills does that turn into they're actually a good base runner because just because they're fast doesn't mean they're good base runner and then same thing with pitchers you know what does their pitch mix look like uh you know they have a fastball of course are there secondaries is there at least one secondary there that looks promising are they able to have average at best you know command on the fastball or i should should say at least um, command on the fastball. And then I start to really pay attention to production. One thing that you said, Jake, um, and I'm going to turn it over to you, you talked about um, the numbers not really meaning much when it comes to DSL, even the rookie, you know, leagues as well. And I'm, I'm always kind of on the fence about that to an extent because I do feel like any competitive pitch, any, and I think I've said this before, but like any competitive pitch, any competitive at-bat, there's something there to be gained from it. But in the grand context of like the environment, then yeah, you know you're you're dealing with some guys that are not the most talented, are not the most refined, I should say, and not the most matured. 
low A, I start to pay attention to those numbers, right? Because now you have a full season. That's another thing, right? DSL doesn't start till the summer, hence the name. Um, Rookie League doesn't start till the summer. So they're not even playing a full season yet. Now, low A, you start to have a full season of at-bats, a full season of starts, potentially. Um, Is this guy dominating at that level, right? WRC pluses that are, you know, 150 or, or even higher. Those are things that pop out at me. A pitcher that has a K9 that's above 12, that's something that pops out at me. And so that brought me to, we we all love him, Spencer Strider, low A Augusta. One of the reasons he popped up on my radar, 32 strikeouts and 15 in the third innings pitch. I'm paying attention to that. And then I'm hearing reports about his fastball. I'm paying attention to that type of player, right? Only five walks. Um, Indy Rodriguez, Loe Bradenton. This is where uh, minorleaguesplits.com came in. I was able to see his max EVs around 108, 108.9. Um, WRC plus 140, so not at that 150 rate, but still pretty high for a young guy at the catching position. Okay, I'm paying attention to that, right? Um, and then we've seen with obviously both of them how they've gone up through the ranks and continued that production. So for me, production that's where it starts to come into play is at the low A level and on less so when we talk about rookie league and, and DSL. So I did a lot of talking there, Jake, I'm going to shut up. You, you go ahead and say something. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you killed it. There's not really a whole lot to add there. Um, but yeah, I, I will say that like of all the stats, WRC plus is probably the best one to look at because it like it levels the playing field, you know, like we've talked about how there's so much, um, noise in, in statistics in the minor leagues. And it's the the more noise, the lower you get in levels, you know? So, um, but the closest thing that we can get to having like a, an even playing field, a, a good kind of like scale to look at these guys is, is probably WRC plus and it's readily available to everyone. So, right. um, but yeah, I think if you're going to look at something, that's the one uh, for sure. I, I start to play, I think a little bit more attention in high A, um, but yeah, no, I, I definitely see what you're saying there. Like I won't be looking at the batting average at all. Uh, probably not the ERA either, but I will take a look at like the WRC plus, I think a little bit. So let me ask you on that note. Um, yeah. Are you for, for your, for yourself, when you think about dynasty, are you a guy that you're still kind of looking more hitter than pitcher because something like WRC plus is applicable across the playing field for hitters. We don't really have that stat for pitchers as a whole yet. We have a couple of different things as far as FIP and things of that nature, but nothing that kind of gives us that full, here's what you're producing as a whole type number that WRC plus is essentially kind of meant to, to do. So because of that, are you like, I'd rather be able to look at these 10 hitters, just, you know, hypothetically these 10 hitters and be able to look at WC, uh, WRC plus across the board at the low A level. And then for pitchers, because I know there's a little bit more wonkiness to it. I can wait until, like you said, high A or, or later before I really start digging in with them. Is that, your is that closer to your approach or are you just kind of like i'm looking at everything yeah closer um i think it's definitely a heck of a lot easier for hitters at this at this point like you know less time like because like you said it's you could look at wrc plus and um and, you know i think it's easier to take stuff away from that whereas even in pitching like even at the like fip and x fip has its kind of uh limitations there because you know it's still affected by um you know, the, the run environment and fly balls go out some places and not at others. And there's some, you know, um, I think you never know what you're going to get there. And, you know, XFIP is pretty close, but I think it's better at higher levels. So, um, but that doesn't mean that it's not worthwhile. I think you can still find pitchers. It just takes probably a, a little bit longer. Um, and you could start with the strikeout rate and go from there. Um, 
I think that's like a pretty universal thing. Um, and like you said, with Spencer Strider having 32 and 15.1, it's hard to ignore that. Um, and I think that, yeah, it's not that I'm just not going to look for pitchers there, but it's again, like a little bit more time consuming. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think this is where you start to see the, um, you know, potential gains. And if they're just like, you know, blowing guys away and then you're like, all right, like let's get these guys up another level or two and, yeah. and then see how it goes from there. Because, yeah. you know, it is easier to dominate with one pitch. Yeah, I mean, You don't even necessarily true. have to command it. And so it's like you also these things are kind of with a grain of salt. It worked out for Strider because he still only has really those right. two pitches. Right. Right. <laughs> he never really had to develop a third. He has the change of this year. He's working on a little bit more, but, you know, he hasn't really had to do that. So, um, yeah, I think it's it's worthwhile to start looking at, but I'm not like diving in. Uh, yeah, that's a, a a really good point about um you know for for pitchers being able to dominate like I was talking about you know K K nine uh, you know above twelve but it's really just this one pitch and it doesn't even indicate that you have the best command of that pitch um, right. it just means that you know it's either if it's if it's a fastball it's velo that's high enough you know that these guys can't touch it or and or you know if it's a more secondary pitch a breaking ball um or change up, you know, something that has enough movement that they, like like I was saying before, they're swinging at it even though it's not going where you wanted it to go, right? It's supposed to go, it's supposed to break to the outside. It stays in back doors, the guy inside, but he's he's whiffing regardless just because he's a 19, 20-year-old that has never seen a ball break, you know, vertically that way in any capacity. So, um, yeah. so yeah, that's that's really a good, uh, a good call out that it, this is where, you know, I talked before about like, you want to watch the games um and and now with uh mlb tv and the, the whole like minor league integration which i have thoughts on not going to get into it here but like with that integration it's a little bit better a little bit easier um this is where you want to pay attention to like what are the, what are they actually doing in the game versus just the scout line the the stat line scouting which you can kind of get away with more in the rookie league dsl stuff and kind of just look okay wrc plus okay you know home run okay i can kind of see it cool and and move on this is where you do want to dig in and actually like let me see if i can check out a start or some high you know some sort of highlights or some sort of extended clips or something to really see like is this guy just throwing it up there and it's just going and he nobody has a clue or is there really some intent behind the the mixing and matching of pitches etc so no that that's a good point jake and and i appreciate you bringing it up with that being said we're going to take a break here we're going to come back we're going to finish up with the other level so high a Uh, and double as well as triple a kind of combined together uh, as we talk about our processes for identifying uh, the the hidden gems of prospects all right and we are back so we're moving into high a now um jake i'm going to let you run with it because this seems like this is really where you're bearing down and finding finding your guys um so, so talk us through when it comes to high A, what you're looking at, how you're identifying guys. And I will also, uh, one thing I didn't, we didn't really point out um, in the outline, but I would love to kind of talk about moving off of guys, right? When you're starting to make the decision to say, like, oh, you know, looked good at rookie ball, low A was doing this thing like we were talking about. Oh, this guy's WRC plus 150, 160. Oh, that's awesome. But now there's something happening at high ed that makes me think maybe maybe I'll deal this guy. Maybe I'll drop him. You know, I'm kind of moving off of how high I was on this particular player. So 
I'll turn things over to you. Yeah, so I think high A is a really important uh, step in the process to get to the majors because it's right before double A. And uh, the jump between high A and double A is really significant. And I think it's like the first like really big test, you know, um, as you get into the higher levels. And so like we've talked about before on the show and like we've kind of mentioned today, like you want to have as as much of a cushion as possible in like your performance stats and your K minus BB and your WRC plus and um, you know, because they're probably going to take a hit as you get to double A and then double A is where you're going to start to make the adjustments and have to kind of, um, either like add a pitch or really start to think about commanding and sequencing your pitches or, um, think about like your approach. Sometimes you got to junk a pitch. Sometimes it's like that pitch doesn't work. (laughs) You got to get rid of that. Right. Like it worked against the 17 and 18 year olds, but it's not working against, you know, 24 year olds, 23 year olds. So, um, so I think, yeah, high A is where you start to like really prepare for the, the upper levels. And if you're not, um, you know, performing at a good level, it's like you, you can see if you have like a 24% strikeout rate, that's going to go down really quick, Mm -hmm. um, in the higher levels. So, um, you know, looking at that, I think is really important. And then, um, this is where um, I think that age to level starts to get starts to get important um, and not as much for like the performance, but just for like the fact that they're there. So mm-hmm. like for me, it's like I think the teams um, looking at like what the teams think about these players, because at the end of the day, I think the teams are going to be able to evaluate these guys better than we are. Mm-hmm. And um, if you're someone like me who maybe doesn't have a ton of time to like really just be in the depths of of minor league baseball um watching what the teams do has always been something that i'm really into um and so like for example people who are um in high a under 20 years old i think that starts to become meaningful Mm -hmm. um because then you have a better chance of being at you know double a and and triple a at a younger age too right and then that's what i think the performance of these young guys starts to get more important at those levels but for here i just like to see oh what this team wants to like throw this guy up you know wants to start the process a little earlier than you would expect um so right now there are seven hitters uh seven age 19 or younger in high a um there's two like studs that i think everyone knows about one of the fastest risers over the past few months and, and currently is junior camonero mm-hmm. uh for the uh tampa bay rays he is like astronomical at this point can i say something about camonero real quick oh please um, i'd love to hear it yeah i'm i just wanted to apologize to him his, his family his fans for being an idiot and not including <laughs> him on my uh my top 10 for age uh age 20 and under prospects this offseason and i think i put uh jay savina over him like it just completely Ooh. just whiffed yeah it just it just completely whiffed and i was like oh jay savina like and then somebody called me out fair enough i forget who you are but you called me out you're like no junior camonero and i was like yeah you're right screwed that one up sorry about that so i every time i see camonero doing stuff i'm like yeah really one oof. really really got that one wrong so i apologize Big yeah. oof, big oof energy right there. Yeah. Oh man. Um, so yeah, yeah. He's he's currently 19 years old at high A, absolutely destroying the ball. That you you want to look at results, boom, there you go. Mm-hmm. Um, but and then Edwin Arroyo is another one. Um, but then also like two guys that are um at high A, 19 years old, not really doing great, but have a good approach so far is uh, TJ White of the nationals and Carter Jensen of the Royals. Mm-hmm. Um, they both have at least a 1.0 BBK. So they're walking as much as they strike out in at least 40 plate appearances in high age so far. Um, you know, both of them like 
have their warts. They both played full seasons at low A last year at WRC pluses around like 115, 120. So like not great. But if you're like, I think at this level and have a good approach and, you know, the team put them there, they gave them a promotion. I think that that's like, these are two guys that I'm kind of like keeping a, a loose eye on. I'm not adding them really anywhere yet. Mm-hmm. But um, so this is where I think they start to get on my radar if, you know, they're, if they're young and if it looks like the teams are promoting them and letting them go. So, um, so I think that's kind of like, that's, yeah, I think that about does it for me. That's kind of pretty much everything I had here, but, um, but yeah, so I think you could start looking at like the, the results a little bit more and, and how old guys are and kind of what the teams are doing with them. And, um, it's just like preparing for that next jump. It's preparing for that, that jump to double a, because I think that, that promotion is probably the most important. Yeah. Uh, so my sort of take on this is 100% agree. I think right now in, in the way baseball has moved um, for dynasty players, I think high A is where the best value is going to be had for finding prospects and, and identifying kind of where to get on the hype train for guys, where to get off the train. Like, because usually not, the hype train is already full speed right, by the time they get to double A and are right. performing well at double A. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, now, obviously, there's there's always going to be exceptions. We know that. And obviously, this is big dependent on yourself as well. So if you're unlimited roster spots, you you may not care about, um, you know, everything that we just talked about with low A and, and rookie ball and all that sort of stuff because you're just adding everybody, right? Anybody that seems interesting, you're just adding them. If you can do that, okay, cool. Um, if you're a smaller league, right, you might want to wait until you get into double A just to really make sure that these guys are legit. But if you're in, you know, kind of what I would think of as a traditional, um, you know, deepish league, you know, that 15, 16 team or bigger, 20 to 25 uh, uh, man uh, farm system or, or minor league spots, like high A is where you can start looking around and saying, okay, I want to be really shrewd with who I'm adding and, and where I'm getting them from and, and why. And I think the experience level, and this is really kind of just echoing everything you just said, Jake, right? The experience level, the talent, it's more matured, but these are still guys that are developing themselves, adding to the repertoire, right? Getting more reps as hitters uh, to improve their discipline, um, that there's always going to be guys that like, oh, we didn't know anything about him. And now, boom, he's on our radar, right? So there's always going to be pop-up guys at the high A level. Um, for me, I was expect if I'm looking at a, at a draft specifically, so if I'm looking at a major league baseball recent draft class, anybody coming out of the power five schools, the power five conferences, I'm expecting those college players to be at high A very soon. They may not get assigned there straight from the draft. And obviously pitchers and hitters are, are going to be handled differently, but I'm making the assumption that like, if in, okay, so we're coming off the 2022 draft class, obviously. Like, those guys, and that's why I was high on the Brooks Lee and the Zach Nettles, because it was very apparent that they weren't going to mess around with rookie ball, low-A stuff. It was like, boom, here's a little splash so you know how to be a pro, and then we're going to put you in with actual competition that's comparable to what you're already used to. And the thing about that is Power 5 schools, because of the talent level, right, if you're playing in the SEC, if you're playing in the Big 12, the, the talent level that you're seeing on a day-to-day basis there is going to be more comparable. So that's my expectation that you're going to be playing well to begin with. doesn't mean that you're going to be killing it, right? But just I expect that you're going to be doing well. Um, is, is, it, is it Power 4 
in in baseball. That oh. would be my only cut. I, I don't think You're the Big right. Ten can be there. Okay, I was going to say <laughs> as a Big Ten right. fan, as an Iowa fan, as someone who grew up and lived in the Midwest, we don't do baseball. Man. Fair enough. Fair enough. I'm used to saying Power Fox because I think about basketball. Right. I mean, that's in, yeah. in, in, in football, but you're probably right. I didn't think about that. Um, yeah. When was, when was the last guy from Illinois that you saw that was like, oh man, I, I guess Brody or Brady? God, they're my team, and I I think it's Brady Brett. Brett Brody Brett it's got to be Brody right god I'm horrible um but yeah for Iowa right now he's like the first one that I've heard about in a long time we'll see I'm I'm originally from Maryland and it's still weird for me that Maryland's in the Big Ten at all um but I know Shaw from Maryland is a guy that's on my radar for this upcoming Mm -hmm. FYPD um, and he's been yeah, doing Maryland's quite well. Good. Yeah, Maryland's good. So, anyways, um, Schwarber, Schwarber was from Indiana. Sorry, oh, stop talking about the. No, no, no. But I mean, there you go. So there are some you got to pay attention, right? Talent comes from every. At the end of this, that's the thing that I really want everybody to take away. Talent comes from everywhere, all levels, all different backgrounds. Talent comes from everywhere. So we can talk about our process and looking at this number and these metrics, but like. It, it can be anywhere, anytime. Like, so, but I, but just to get back to the, the high A stuff, like, um, like I said, my expectation for for college players, um, coming from that level is to be at um high A, if not getting immediately signed there, then you know, a quick promotion to that level and to do well. I will say, if they're coming out of you know, if they're a prep ball JUCO player, um, the non power conferences, right, or D two guys that we see get drafted a lot of times based on their stuff or they transferred or, you know, whatever case may be those guys, if they get assigned to hire, they have that quick promotion to high a, I actually give them more of a bump because that tells me that they can play at that level, even if they didn't compete against that talent in college or previously, right. As non-pro players. Right. So you're a high school guy. You came from Illinois. You're the best baseball player in the state of Illinois. Um, That's all great and good. But if you can get into high a, you know, a, a year after getting drafted and you're doing well there, that means that you can hang with, you know, Florida guys and Vandy guys and like that sort of, you know, ilk. And so I'm paying attention to that. Um, as far as some really numbers. Really good point there. Yeah, as far really as. Really good point there with college, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, just showing that you can hang, right? Just showing that you 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 can, uh, that you're doing well. Because a lot of times, especially if you think about like Juco and, and the like D2 guys, um, or guys that transfer, you know, they were at a major college and then they transfer for whatever reason to maybe a smaller college. Um, a lot of times that's what it is. Like teams are drafting based on what they see that potential. They can see, you know, they're getting the day, the data points of like, you know, what this guy swing can do EVs, et cetera. And they're seeing like, Hey, it doesn't matter that he's playing against, you know, the, the, you know, um, whatever, you know, smaller team or whatever league that he's in. He, we think that he can really hang. And if you show that, right, if you uh, show up and, and um, have that sort of production, then I'm paying attention to it. Um, contact rate, uh, always like to see, you know, 75% at or above is, is always nice to see. That's not a have to have. It's really hard to do. But, like, if you can do that, I'm paying attention. Um, as, as far as a, as a hitter, if you're swinging strike, uh, rate can stay in that 12 to 15% range. Lower is obviously better. Higher could be a red flag. Doesn't mean it's definitely a red flag, but want to make sure that you're not swinging and missing too much uh, as a rainstorm comes on around me. Uh, so those are a couple of things I want to keep in mind. And then indicators of emergent power, right? So a lot of times it's a, if you're a high amount of doubles, right? 
he got 20 doubles uh, in, a, in a short time frame, but only, you know, three or four home runs. That's okay by me, right? Because those doubles can turn into home runs later. But the fact that you can hit the ball that hard and that well is a good indicator. Uh, and then fly ball rate, right? 40, 45% somewhere in that range is always nice. Um, not too much where you're like, oh, okay, this guy's hitting a lot of fly balls, which probably means your launch angle is, is probably not a lot of, um, it's probably a lot of pop-ups that are going to be a part of that as well. Um, or, you know, if you're sub 40%, could be having a lot of ground balls, which obviously is going to be um, an issue as well. So those are like some numbers from the hitter side. Uh, real quickly to get through pitches before we get into um, double A and triple A, you know, K minus walk rate. What is that based off of? I like to break that apart because a lot of times you see guys that have like outstanding K minus walk. And it's like, yeah, it's really just because they don't walk anybody. Right. They have like a 20 percent K rate, but they have like a 1 percent walk rate. And it's like, oh, 19 percent K minus walk was well, like, OK, well, let's look at that and let's break that apart. This guy has really, you know, good control but he's not necessarily a strikeout pitcher. So don't get fooled by the K minus walk. Like, and then on the other end, it can be because this guy is striking out 40% of the hitters. He walks, you know, 16%, but he strikes out 40. Well, okay. How is that going to work out as he gets into the next level? Right. Um, and then other things are, are kind of obvious, like swing and strike rate um, reports about the velo, right. Can, can a guy maintain his fastball um, inning over inning later in the season? Right. Do we see or do we hear reports about the fastball starting to tick down as he gets into later starts? Secondary pitches, ideally by high A, you want to see that they have a couple of different secondaries that they're working with, um, whatever that might be. Uh, I'm, I'm not you know, I'm kind of agnostic to what the secondaries are, but just something alongside the fastball. Um, and again, do they command that pitch with any sort of consistency? So my example there is uh, Evan Carter at the high A level 2022. You know, all he did was as a 19-year-old, I believe, maybe maybe 20, coming off of back injury, um, 287, 388, 476 as a triple slash, 11 home runs, 26 stolen bases. You know, nothing nothing big, right? Like nothing nothing too crazy. Uh, that's all he did. And, I mean, you know, that's the sort of stuff that, boom, he's immediately on my radar. Um, I actually uh, used him for uh, one of the Player of the Week um, articles last year because, like, Every, just about every week, he's putting up something amazing. A 16.8% K rate, 13.2% walk rate. So it, it, that's almost exactly what I'm talking about when it comes to high A hitters. Um, so yeah, that's just an example of of things to, to keep out for. But yeah, high A is where I'm really starting to get jazzed about paying attention and really drilling down on finding the value add there. So let's wrap it up. Let's talk about double A and triple A kind of together. Um, Jake, I'm going to turn it to you because I know you broke down double A and triple A kind of as two different approaches, which I think is is perfectly fine. And I, I just want to kind of hear you talk it through. Um, I've kind of combined mine a little bit more. Yeah. Um, so I think double A is where I start to look for like the adjustments that they've had to make. Um if any, you know, if are they struggling for the first time? Are they having to change their approach or like how has their approach kind of like taken a hit or um, maybe improved at, after the jump to double A. Um, so I think double A is kind of like the um, the place to kind of like uh, refine your your skills 
and like start like trimming down all like the excess kind of fat on the on the edges and then you get to tri- uh, AAA or you just get the bump to the majors which we're seeing more often after you've kind of like you've put it together and it's like okay now we know what we kind of have here you know so um yeah how quickly are they able to adjust um like Jackson Churio is currently struggling for the first time now he's also like 19 years old in AA so like we'll give him a pass I guess you know but um you know like what's he doing right now to like adjust is he like you know, I haven't watched him a whole lot, so I can't answer that question. But, um, you know, things like that, looking into that, like how how are people um, responding to struggling for potentially the first time in their kind of like uh, in their journey? So, um, yeah, I think it's just kind of a lot of that for me. And then for pitchers, um, like we've kind of talked about how you can get away with in the lower levels, maybe one fantastic pitch that you don't necessarily command well, that just has good velo or good shape and people just like can't lay off of it. They can't like make consistent contact with it. And you can just like, you, you can get away with that a lot easier. And double A, I think is when you start to have to add potentially a third pitch or a fourth pitch and like command multiple pitches. And so, um, you know, like, do they have command of at least three pitches? Do they have um have they started like sequencing more do you like are they trying to tunnel sometimes they'll talk about that sometimes coaches will talk about that like changes in approach and things like that um so i think that that's super important i think that's where you kind of start to see guys develop into pitchers more than throwers i think um like you've mentioned earlier um because you kind of have to you can't get away with that anymore you can't get away with just throwing a 100 mile per hour fastball down the middle and or like a sweeper or a huge breaker off the edge and watching guys you know go after it so um so yeah like the development of the arsenal and the pitches having command of multiple pitches and i wrote down here like after i was kind of talking about the or sussing this out and and kind of the outline um i I just really like the theoretical kind of like conversation of question like how many pitches do you really need or like at what point do you only need to do you have to throw a 100 mile per hour fastball that you could command really well to get away with that do you have to you know can you can you do that if you have a, you know, a slower fastball, but with better like ride or that with really good command or something. And um, like you think of guys like uh, Mason Miller, who did end up adding a third pitch and or Strider who really didn't have to add a third one and kind of does now for the fun of it, I guess. Um, but uh, you know, the Hunter green, same thing. He hasn't really used to change up a whole lot. And so it's like, I think like you kind of have to have like something, uh, there with like the fastball or um yeah, so i think it has to be two really really great pitches but well, then that's, if you're not those guys you have to have a better right. a bigger arsenal yeah. that's the thing right is like is it better to have two really high level pitches or to have three and four pitches where you know one of them or two, you know a couple of them may just be league average but you can go there right you can mix right. it up more often and like i think Braxton Garrett. yeah you know you can kind of see and i think you kind of are starting to see in in some of the literature for lack of better terms like that is kind of the the nut to crack because obviously that that was the knock all three guys that you just named like that was the knock against them right it's like yeah that's nice and that you know that's that's great but then what else? Because, you know, major league hitters can hit that speed, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's not going to be just blowing them away like you did in college or like you did in some of these other levels. So, how you know, where else can you go? Um, and we've seen, you know, to to, to different levels of uh, uh, performance, like uh, different levels of success. But then you also have guys where it's like, oh, this guy has four pitches or five pitches even. It's like, okay, yeah, cool, but like, that changeup doesn't re- isn't really doing anything. 
just because he can throw it, you know, 20% of the time. That slider is kind of flat. You know, it's like, wouldn't he be better if he just didn't throw those pitches and just threw, you know, that this fastball, this curveball, and, you know, and like this sinker, like he just went fastball up, sinker down, and like he had a curveball. And like, wouldn't that be easier? So, uh, yeah, it, it's interesting. And that's where team context, in my opinion, comes in a lot of like, yeah. what do teams tell their pitchers that they should be concentrating on, right? I talked about the Braves kind of stripping guys down and just throwing their best stuff all the time. Not all teams do that, right? Some teams want you to have this sort of full array or full complement if possible. And sometimes it's to the detriment of the pitcher because they're not getting reps in how making their best pitch even better because they're spending time throwing this other pitch that is never going to be that good. (laughs) But it's because, you know, their pitching coach in double A said that they need to throw a change up 20 times, you know, in this start. And it's like, or he could just throw this tremendous you know, cutter or slider 40 times, like you could be yeah. using that time. So yeah, that that's the theoretical it, piece is really good here. Right. And in each of these guys has to find the mix that works for them. And mm-hmm. sometimes it goes well into their major league career. You still see guys tinkering with it. And mm-hmm. um, like Pablo Lopez, just like pretty much completely reinvented his, his pitch mix after going to Minnesota, which by the way, Minnesota, I think is becoming a sneaky good mm. place for pitching development. Um, with just, what they've been able to do, they just called up uh, Woods Richardson again. Woods so Richardson, we'll see, yeah. We'll see what's going on with him. Yeah, yeah. He performed pretty well. Um, I, I wasn't really in on him last year, but I think this year he's kind of taken some steps forward. He looks good in pitching models, and um, Louis Varland, I think, is one that I'm really mm-hmm. uh, looking forward to seeing because he's always had the exceptional command. Mm-hmm. But this year he added a little bit. Um, you know, on the fastball and stuff is getting better, and so like, the, and they have such they have so many options that it's going to be hard for those guys to make consistent impacts but um yeah i think minnesota is becoming a a bit of a destination there that i'm paying a lot of attention to when they go and acquire someone you know so i think it's been really cool to see how they've developed like this offseason specifically uh because i was also out on joe ryan for Mm, the longest time because like last year he was performing but like he was like we were like where is this what's actually creating what's the catalyst here you know yeah and now it looks like pretty clearly like oh yeah yeah he added that uh, that breaker that looks fantastic and um so yeah, I, I think yeah, Minnesota has a quick point there, but yeah. Well, on that note, something else that you have written down here is like it's important to look at the major league roster. So you talked about um, you know guys who aren't necessarily on the prospect list uh, list getting chances uh, because MLB teams need the most experienced guys with uh, potential in the org to eat innings or play defense if it's a uh, you know position player. Like right, looking at AAA and seeing yeah, where they're going yeah because that's around. what we've seen. Yeah, that's what we've seen even this year with like um, with Hunter Gaddis and, and Peyton Battenfield of, of the Guardians coming up when everyone was been waiting for uh, Bybee and Fott and uh, Logan Allen even. And like these are the guys that are going to be the next kind of like group. And then um, the Guardians had spots open up, but they're a little too early in the year. They wanted to see a little bit more from those guys. And then you had Gaddis and Battenfield go up who like haven't been well-regarded prospects but like they've been in triple a they've had their reps they have the experience and they got the shot because like they were there and they were ready um not necessarily like the huge ceilings that we are expecting from like the other guys but Mm -hmm. like they were there and ready and i think um we'll see something similar right Yeah. yeah absolutely and then like so you need to like be aware of uh those guys and be aware that it's not always the best prospects that get caught up because everyone has their own each organization has their own timeline and what they want to see that we don't always know um 
yeah, but and I think the next one potentially that we'll see like someone that's not a huge prospect, but that could get opportunities because of the time that they spent in AAA uh, is Sean Burke on yeah. the the White Sox. Yeah, I'm they've a, said I'm a as an organization. Yeah, they've said that he's probably going to get some spot starts and he'll be up. So it's like he's not not really ever been a huge prospect and um, he hasn't really had like lights out numbers, but like they're going to give him a shot when they need him because he's he has the experience and he they like enough of what they see to, to test it out. And so um, being aware of those guys who could then take off, you know, you get more time with the major league pitching coach, the major league staff or um you know, find some lightning in a bottle. You never know. So yeah. sometimes you just get those opportunities from the guys that are up there. Yeah. I, uh, I, I'm a, I'm a fan of, um, Burke. I was, I was a fan of Battenfield before last year. Um, there, again, you talk about adjustment period. He was lighting up, uh, when he was with Tampa, he was lighting up high A gets, uh, traded over to Cleveland was lighting up double A. And then last year, just, it kind of fell apart on him as far as like K numbers just tanked and everything that was kind of hype about him. I was like, Oh, maybe this guy not that again, talking about getting off of prospects. I was like, maybe this guy not that good. Um, and now you get him into the major league. And it's like, again, your point is well taken. Like his ceiling is way lower than, you know, the, the Gavin Williams and, and whatnot of the world, but he, he's looking serviceable. And if he's getting turns in the rotation from a dynasty standpoint, and even from a, 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 if you're in a larger redraft league, like you need innings, right? You need those guys to to be a bridge for you, um, to to pick up even if it's just spot starting here and there and a streamer guy. So, um, even that is a win when you think about a prospect. If you can get a prospect and hold them all the way to them becoming like a decent streaming option, that's actually a win. Right? Like that's that's kudos to you. Um. Yep. As far as for me, and like I said, I kind of more combined double A AA and triple A together because one thing I pointed out, double uh, A has kind of become the new triple A, right? As far as the proven ground, triple A is kind of like either again, you're you're you you haven't been that highly regarded, and so you have to have the reps. So maybe it's because of injury, maybe it's just because of talent level, whatever. Um, or that's kind of like retreads of like. I can't really stick at the major league level yet. So I'm in triple A, but then I'm going to get option back up to um, the major leagues again. And then maybe that doesn't stick. Um, so yeah, double A really is the make a break point a little bit more often. Now that's really where I start to think about age level. And I realized that, um, you know, versus what Jake was saying at the higher level, if I'm waiting that extra bit, there are going to be some guys that I'm going to be late on because of that, but that's really because, double a is kind of like the the last step that is where okay if a guy is 19 you know years old and, and has gotten to double a and is killing it that piece of him being so young is really going to be on my radar um but that's that's me and like i said i recognize that that's going to make me late instead of early on on a handful of guys um so you know buyer beware if you're going to follow that model I, i'm not saying it's the right way it's just the way my brain works um I like seeing the consistent performance at this point, because now you're talking about having ideally not all the time, but ideally having a couple of different seasons, full seasons where you can start to see, Hey, are there any indicators of uh, improvement? And is there any consistency across the, the board in performance? So for hitters, are we seeing contact rates going up? Are we seeing the O swing and the K rates coming down? Are we hearing about swing changes and mechanical tweaks? 
um, to get, you know, maybe into some more power, better back to ball skills. And then pitchers, obviously, is like the exact opposite, right? We want to see the K rates going up um, as they're getting into the double A. One thing that I point out that I don't think gets a whole lot of um, focus, and it's not the end all be all, but just something I like to keep a, a little bit of a, a eye on is the LOB uh, percentage, the, the left on base percentage. And just seeing that kind of stabilize in that 70 to 75% range. Because if it's lower than that, if they're like 65%, they probably got a super high ERA and FIP. And so yep. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm reticent to have somebody on my team with that yeah. issue. And if Nick Pollock and Alec Fast has like a, they have an acronym for, and I can't remember it now, but they, I think they talk about it on their podcast. Um, for those three, there's like the three luck stats mm-hmm. uh, for pitchers. It's the left on base percentage, the BABIP, and uh, home run fly ball ratio. And those three together, you can usually get a good sense of like, have they been horribly unlucky? Right. Have they been horribly lucky? You know, because right. like it's those things usually stabilize. Like it's really hard exactly. for a pitcher to be good at one of those. Exactly. You know, it's usually just dependent on league context. And so looking like a bad bit, that's like um, around 300, maybe a little less of home run fly ball. That's like 11 to 12 percent. And then a left on base that, like you said, is like 70 or so. Yeah. So, yeah, looking at those three is is really um I think important for context and yeah. we're seeing even so far this year, like I'm doing the, uh, when looking at guys performing in like triple a or whatnot, it's like, Oh, it's a horrible ERA. But then like, you know, maybe it's the XFIP is like, Oh, a little better. And then you look at like those other stats and you're like, Oh yeah, no, he's had horrible luck. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. And so, um, the higher, you know, if they're on the higher end and sometimes you see a guy and it's like, Oh, this guy's got an 87% LOB or 90%. I'm that that's a red flag as well, because that means they're, they got a lot of men on, and they're like walking on a fine line if they don't, you know, if they're, if they're having that high of a LOB percentage and most likely that's going to correct itself into the negative, especially if they yep. get to the MOB level um, as a starter, as a reliever, maybe you can get away with that. Right. Cause you're, it's a short amount of time you're coming in with runners on. Um, so you can strand guys at a higher rate. Cause that's really what the job is. Um, but yeah, if you're a starter, that means you're get letting guys get on base. And then hoping that you can leave them on base over and over again at a high rate. And I, yeah, I, you're gambling and uh, the house is always going to win on that one. So those are some things um, at both levels. I'm always looking at rule five eligibility, right? I'm always looking at R5 um, and in that team context. Are they on a rebuilding yeah. team that's low on upper minus talent? I'll call out a guy um, here, uh, Justin Henry Malloy. I'm a big fan. Just yeah. a fan of his when he was on Atlanta. Part of me thinks, what would Atlanta look like if they had him and not Ozuna in left field? Just saying. Um, but, like, I don't know what Detroit's doing. Like, Detroit has no – like, you got Matt Verling, who I actually like Matt Verling, but he's he, – you kind of are putting him all around the field because you have so many holes, including third base. But there's nobody at third base. And Malloy is killing it in triple a there's really nothing and you traded for him you traded him and as obviously because you had you did the smart thing right for a rebuilding team we have a high value um high leverage reliever that's the first guy that should always go in a rebuild because he's the he's the cheapest right but he's going to get you something back trade him to atlanta you get a good player back in uh in malloy why aren't you playing him is he going to be a star i don't know but like I tell you this much, he ain't going to be a star in AAA. Like, he ain't going to be a star in Toledo. So got nothing to lose, man. Nothing to lose. Nothing. Not Absolutely nothing to lose. Yeah. Um, so so he's like a perfect example of, of, of uh, a guy in, in that AA to AAA realm that I'm like, 
everything is just clicking right there. He's doing everything well. Um, so another one context. in that situation potentially is um, Andrew Abbott of the Reds, who came on in Double A this year and he's striking out like 60 percent mm-hmm. of the guys and low walk rate and um, th- who's above him. They have two spots in the rotation that are, I mean, pretty much up for grabs outside of their three big young guys. Yeah. Um, and there's really I don't think anyone like Levi Stout just got called up to yeah. get. Shellacked. Yeah. <laughs> and then <laughs> went now, right back down. So. Now, here's the here's the one caveat that I'll say about Abbott, and it's kind of similar to what I say about Stout, is both of them, if you look at their career, their minor league careers, have had an issue as far as, like, command and, and walk rate. Um, So Abbott turning things around this year is great. Do not get me wrong. But I'm still mm-hmm. kind of like, is it real? Like, is it going to stick? Right. Is the other shoe um, going to drop? Yeah, or is yeah. the other shoe going to drop? So this is a guy, and I'll be honest, he's already been picked up in my league. I'm late on him because uh, I understand that history. Um, I'm going to also take this time while we talk about team context and Rule 5 and all that sort of stuff to talk about another Cincinnati Reds player that I'm seeing get a lot of uh, love, and I'm still very confused, and that's Leon Richardson seeing him flying across the board. Leon Richards, oh, it's fastball. Guys, he's 23. He should be dominating teenagers. Like, he's playing in the the uh, rookie league, right? Not DSO, obviously. But he's playing in, I'm sorry, low A. He's playing in low A. He's playing 19, 20. Like, he should be. And you know why else? Not just because he's 23, but because he has two, maybe three years of minor league experience already, including at the high level. And he was not that good at the high level. Like, not at all. So, yes, I understand he got hurt. Like, I understand he had Tommy John. I understand he's back from Tommy John. He had, you know, had surgery. We've seen guys come back from Tommy John be a lot better, you know, as far as a pitcher. Um, and he's he's older. He's he's learned. And I also understand you play the guys that you play. He's at that level. He's dominating. That's what he should be doing. If he wasn't doing that, that'd be a whole different issue. I get all that. I'm not running out and getting a 23-year-old that has injury issues that wasn't that good when he was at uh, a higher level of minor leagues simply because he's dominating a lower level in minor leagues. That's me. I could be 100% wrong. We will see. But just keep that in mind. If you're if you're on the fence about Richardson, just know the history. Know the backstory before you go all in on, on him. Um, but I think your point about Abbott is, is very good as well. Like, the, who who's blocking him? What do they have to lose? Um, but yeah, I'm I'm big on the team context, big on on rule five. Um, guys like I, I picked up Ryan Noda, who hasn't done a ton, but I am in the OBP league, so he's valuable to me from that front because that's what he did in the Dodgers organization. And I could tell this guy's, you know, 25, 26. All he plays is first base. They can stick him in the corner in left field, but that's not really, you know, where you want to have him. There's right. no the Dodgers aren't calling him up. Like they had yeah. no reason to. They got way too much talent across right. the board and they can go get guys i knew he was never so it's just waiting oh r5 team picks him up oakland because they have nobody <laughs> so they need bodies i knew he was going to get everyday bats when they got aguilar it did scare me a little bit seems right now they're they're platooning he's got the strong side of the platoon against righties and again power hasn't been there but obp has been there i'll take it like you know there's something of value that's going to happen so rule five guys um, Akil Badu was a Rule 5 guy. I know the last couple of seasons not been that good, but he came out like Game Busters his rookie year. Definitely helped a lot of teams out, myself included, his rookie year. Um, right process. Right process yeah. there. 
bad result. result. And it yeah, happens. That happens. That's why we're talking about process. You got to be okay with the bad results. He's not on my team anymore. I trade him. I actually <laughs> trade him way too early. Um, after that, I probably could have hung on to him in his rookie year a little bit longer and got better value. But that's neither here nor there. Um, but yeah, you know, like rule five, look at those guys that are going to be out there because you can, you can probably get an idea of who's going to get drafted in Mm -hmm. rule five. And again, they're pretty much guaranteed a full season of, of playing time. Like that's not the exact rule. The rule is they have to be on a 40 man. So technically, yes, they could be in the minor leagues, but like when guys get drafted and they're going to be on the 40 man, the team is probably going to use them at the major right. level in some way, shape, or form. That means you're going to get more more data. So if if he's coming from double A and you're not really sure and you've been stoothing around trying to find EVs and, you know, what's the fastball look like, and boom, he's going to be in the major leagues. You can go straight to pitcher list. We're going to have the player page. It's going to be populating with information, right? You're going to be able to look at it. Make your decision on do you think this guy's going to stick around? Is he, you know, anything of value? Um, and the last note I, I'll say because you see this more – with double A, triple A guys, um, even though I guess technically anybody could go, uh, is did they play in the Arizona Fall League, right? This is where Mason Miller comes back into the conversation. Without the Arizona Fall League, he's not on my radar. Shows up in the Fall League, dominates the Fall League. I'm like, I'm paying attention, right? They have Savant data in some of the Fall League games, not all of them, but they have the Savant data. They can You can go and look at it. I'm seeing 100 mile an hour fastball in AFL. That's a cheap ad. That's real easy. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's like a no brainer. Um, So, you know, how often, but also keeping an eye again, thinking about history, how often have they played? A lot of times guys will go to the AFL because of injury history, right? So they didn't get a full season. The team wants to get them some extra at bats or some extra innings pitch because they got cut short um, or because they're trying to work at something, right? They, they're in a transition. They're developing a new pitch. They're developing um, something from a hitting standpoint. Are we seeing that often though? Are they are they two and three times in the AFL? Because to me, that's more of a red flag. Once, cool. Two, uh, any you know, any more than two. If two or three times that they've been playing in the AFL, that to me is more of a red flag than it is helpful. Because that means like they're probably injured often, and so they're always trying to recoup time, or they're always kind of underperforming, and the team is always trying to give them. It's like it's almost like summer school. It's like you're not you're not passing the classes, but we're trying to help you get out of this grade so you don't have to keep repeating it. Um, but thinking about all that, um, Mason Miller obviously is, is one of his all. Um, the Triple A piece, Jose Miranda, Jose Miranda, you know, A ball, high A, not you know, wasn't really on anybody's radar. Not really paying attention. Double A, he starts smacking the mess out of the ball. Okay, interesting. I was waiting, waiting. Triple A, and then he he blows it out. Um, is is one of the best players in in Triple A in that particular season? What was that twenty one? Um, and it was like, okay, cool. It's consistent. It's real. There, there's something actually here. Uh, and and now he's an everyday player, right? So, um, again, process to result. It's these are the things that you're that I'm looking at. It's, it's less of that granular um, data point information, and it's more so a holistic, like, what's the story behind, what's the narrative behind this guy? Like, what has he been doing over the last two and three years to get to this point? Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So that's that's me. That's me. Anything to add? Did we, did we cover 
kind of everything. Yeah, I think we covered the whole oh, dang thing. The whole dang thing. <laughs> it was a lot. Of, I feel like there was, was a lot of um, minutia, but I hope it's helpful uh, because I really, I really do believe that. I, I mean, Jake said it right. It's sometimes you get a bad result, but it's it really is that process. Like if you have a solid process for identifying guys, you're probably going to be successful more often than not. If you're waiting or if you're kind of just relying on one or two sources and, and waiting for that to generate, if you're in any sort of deep league, you're going to always be playing from behind. Just always. You know, if you're in a 12-team dynasty, you can kind of wait, right? And we talked about it. You can kind of wait till a guy hits double A. You can kind of wait until he's a top 150-ish type of guy and then jump out there and, and get him at it. And maybe you're early on somebody. And, hey, you know, this guy from college, you know, I got him in FYPD, whatever. But, yeah, you're in those deeper leagues. You got to have a process down pat. You got to trust it. I'm still learning how to trust it, right, because I'm notorious in my home league for getting off of guys way early and then regretting it or dealing the guy way early and being like, that was dumb. Um, some of the guys that I listed in this in this outline, in this podcast, dealt him way early, and I'm like, oh, that was stupid. So I still have to learn about trusting it, but having that process and having it in place, um, you're going to most likely see good results. So I hope this was helpful to you all. Um, Jake, anything that you have coming up uh, from the writing standpoint or podcast standpoint, you, you, you guessing on anybody's pods or anything? Uh, not at this point. No, it's just the, just the pictures and stash in this podcast. Keeping me plenty busy. <laughs> okay. All right. Sounds good. How's, how's, uh, how's the new place? It's coming, coming oh. together. Great, great. We just found a nice little uh, ice cream shop down the plate down the street last night that we went to and checked out. So we're kind of exploring a little bit more, finding some spots. Had a nice bakery experience this morning. Oh. Got a nice uh, raspberry um, Danish. Incredible. Wow, that sounds so <laughs> quaint and nice. That's awesome. Oh, yeah, a nice little New England yeah. town, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> no, that's awesome. Um, it pretty much. I mean, without the the baked goods and the and the ice cream, but it's pretty much the same thing going on over here. Uh, this week we'll have week two for um the prospect watch list. I hope you guys in, enjoyed the first um uh entry into this year's column. So same thing. Uh, you know, going to be highlighting pretty much four players hitter and honorable mention pitcher honorable mention um just breaking down prospects to to watch and now you guys know the kind of the secret sauce of how i'm finding these guys that go into the prospect uh, prospect watch list it's mostly from everything that you just heard um us talk about here today so uh with that being said uh you can obviously uh find uh this podcast and all of our picture list pods on the picture list network podcast page they're all available in the podcast section of Pitch List for you to find, listen, and subscribe. You can find me on Twitter at Inside Fastball, capital I, capital F. And you can find me on Twitter at Jake Mache, M-A-I-S-H. With all that being said, I hope you all enjoy the rest of your day. Mm-hmm.